0: Welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. This week, tune in as Pastor Scott discusses how to build healthy relationships straight out of the text of Scripture in Romans 12. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts and let people know if this podcast has been a blessing to you. Have a blessed week. So this morning we are we're talking about love Valentine's Day tomorrow right so live and relationships hopefully the two go together um, but as pastor Brandon did I hear you laughing was that laughing or um, maybe hopefully they go together I don't know um, and uh, but before we can have good relationships here we got to have a good relationship here amen and so we need to let the Lord do a work in our heart and so um, we're not about just relationships. Um, outside of a relationship with Christ. So but I want to talk to you this morning about building healthy relationships. Before we get into that, um, kind of threw something out to you last week. Listen, if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. Glad to have you and uh, glad you can join us. Uh, I challenged you to uh, learn another memory verse, right? Actually two verses. Galatians, don't put it up yet, uh, Jesse. Just uh, hold on just a second. Galatians 522 through23. Starts out how, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, good kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such, there is no law. Galatians 5 through 23. Amen. Good job. Good job. Um, What a great verse to kind of remember and memorize um, to make sure our relationships are where they need to be. Uh, Last week, we talked about um, where relationships begin, that it begins with us. And this morning, I want to talk to you about building healthy relationships. Um, Ran into an interesting story this week, a a 2019 movie. I don't think it was a very popular movie, but uh, nonetheless, a movie. 2019 movie by the name of Family Romance uh, is not a documentary, but it very well could be. Uh, this movie uses a real life or the real life plotline of a Japanese man by the name of Yuchi Ishii. Not sure if I got that right, but we're going to go with it. All right. Uh, uses the real life plotline of this Japanese man who started a company by the same name back in 2009. Here's kind of the plot. Yushi Ishi, runs a real business in Japan called Family Romance. And what this business does, what his company does, is they offer professional actors for hire on an as needed basis to fill in and play people's family, friends, co workers, any kind of relationship that you need, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or grandmother or grandfather, whatever social role a person may need, they have an actor that you can hire to fill that role. Yes, Japanese people can actually hire actors to substitute for missing loved ones or friends or just to cover in awkward situations. Now, everything's totally above board. There's nothing illegal, nothing immoral about his company. But this is not the only business like this in Japan. Evidently, there is a growing demand. People can literally hire someone to be their friend to go sing karaoke with them at a bar. Or you could hire a group of friends uh, to pretend to be your friends and throw you a surprise birthday party. One client, he said, asked to hire a load of friends to take with him to various locations so that he could take pictures with them and post them on Instagram to make it look like he had a lot of friends. <laughs> Now that sounds like something I can believe, right? The requests, he says, they get are endless. From being a substitute relative for the elderly in a nursing home to being a substitute boyfriend or even a substitute fiancee to meet someone's parents. He says he's even stepped in for an absent father more times than he wants to count. The roles and requests they get are varied and sometimes unusual. But the theme of the requests... Usually revolve around the fact that his client needs the company to step in because a certain relationship is not healthy, or someone in that relationship is just plain absent. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Um, it's very sad. It's it's very tragic, friends. That we've gotten to a point where where friendship. It, 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 friendships gotten to a point where people have to rent friends. Or, or that we've gotten to a point where people think it's easier to just rent friends than to actually make them. Real relationships cannot be rented. Amen? They have to be invested in. So I want to talk to you this morning about how can we build good, healthy relationships. How can we build good relationships with others? How can we make sure those relationships are healthy relationships? How can we make sure our relationships are flourishing? And we talked about last week the fact that it starts with us. Amen. We can't control other people. So I know what we talk about relationships. If there's a bad relationship. 99% of the time what's going through your mind is, okay, Pastor, I got all these good relationships, but yeah, I got a bad one, but it's not my fault, it's their fault. I get that. That's what goes through our heads. That's what we think, right? But what I'm here to tell you is uh, that it starts with us. Good relationships start with us. Um, man, I didn't, didn't really want to pull this card till next week, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I, I'm going to give you just a real-life example that most of you, unless you're very new to Southside, um, can relate to. Okay? And I'm just going to do it because I, I know her very, very well. My mom. I don't know. My mom. If, if if she ever had an enemy, I've never known them. And um, if anybody ever didn't like her, I didn't know that. And so I don't believe it was just because she only ran into good people. I believe we get what we give. Ah, let me. Before I get too far ahead of myself, let me. Let's get back into the lesson. Okay, so. Building upon the premise that it starts with us and it doesn't start with others. I want us to look this morning at how to build healthy relationships. We're first going to look at how to build healthy relationships with other believers. And then we're going to look at how to build healthy relationships with unbelievers or non-Christians. So take your outline, if you will, this morning. This Turn, Look at our scripture here in Romans chapter 12. First of all, in our text today, I believe as we look at Romans chapter 12, I, think, I believe we see a theme develop. When we look at what our relationship with other believers is supposed to look like. And so I'm going to give you this up front. Number one, with other believers, we need to love them like family. With other believers, we need to love them like family. The first thing we see in our text today is that we are connected to each other in Christ. We are connected to each other in Christ. That's the first point under this. There we go. Look at verse 3 in Romans chapter 12. Now, how many of you um, have verses 1 through 2 memorized? 12, 1 through 2, you know that. All of wanna, well, they're probably gone to a lot of them gone but other wanna kids, teenagers, um, others, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so it talks about giving our bodies as a living sacrifice, and then that we need to be conformed to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then Paul goes into talking about. Relationships, and specifically relationships in the church. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you. Now, who's he t- speaking to here? This is called the letter to the Romans. He's speaking specifically to believers in Rome, the churches throughout Rome, and so forth. And so he's talking to believers in Rome here. And he says, not, I, I, I say to you, not to think of himself or yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Um, I think the big problem, we see this, we'll see this theme um, carried a little bit later as well, is um, we can kind of think of ourselves higher than we ought to. Amen? We kind of think we're all that, think everybody ought to love us because we're pretty lovable. Paul says, listen, don't think of yourself too highly, but think soberly. Uh, Think of ourselves in context with who we are in Christ. Verse 4, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, having many members in one body, so we, excuse me, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So, those of you who are familiar with this passage know that Paul goes on next to talk about spiritual gifts. But in the process of talking about spiritual gifts, he makes a very important point, friends, and that is that as believers, we are all connected to each other. Amen? That's why, as we have spiritual gifts, what he goes on to say, listen, as we have gifts, each one has gifts, we need to use them um, to serve one another. But the whole point is that when When you come to know Christ and when this other person comes to know Christ, guess what? We have a bond that we both know Jesus and we both are now part of his family. So if I'm a part of his family and you're a part of his family, guess what? We family, we're connected. We're connected with each other. And so we're all part of the greater body of Christ, and we all have a part to play. Yes, that's not what we're going to focus on this morning in, in this specific part of the text. But what we're going to talk about is the fact that we're all part of the body of Christ. And listen, here's the problem. is sometimes people think that they don't like a certain person or a part of the body of Christ, so they're going to separate themselves and not. listen, that's not it. Guess what? Not only are we connected to each other here as a body of Christ, but we're going to be connected to each other forever. Forever. So you may be able to avoid that person. Maybe uh, uh, you've left a church or, 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 or something and you thought, well, I just, I don't, I just don't like that person, I'm going to get away with Guess what? <laughs> you may never see them again on this earth, but you saved, they saved, you're going to see each other again. Okay? You don't think it's... So, I, listen, you say, well, there going to be a lot of people in heaven. I don't know if I... Uh, uh. We're going to be there for eternity, okay? You're going to run into them. All right? And so, uh, you know, obviously, Christ is going to make us perfect, and we're going to all be uh, uh, have His character when we get there. Uh, but, friends, the point of the matter is, listen, if we know we're going to see people again, we tend to treat them better, don't we? In fact, um, one of the reasons social media and texting and those kind of things can be so bad is because people think because they're just they don't have to be face to face with somebody they can say and blurt out whatever in the world they want to say I mean, right listen any way we communicate with others we need to be kind in Christ amen and we need to be nice and so the point is we're going to see each other forever and so we might as well learn to get along down here amen we're we are connected forever in Christ. I, I, here's what I want you to do for just a second before we move on to the next. I want you to look around. Don't look at me. Look around. Just take a look to your right. Look to your left. Look behind you just a minute. Okay? That's your family. This is your family. Love them. Because you're going to be connected with them forever. Amen? Amen? Kind of leads us right into the next uh, point or the next sub-point I want to make be here. Not only are we connected to each other, I kind of already... Start talking about this a little bit we are called to love each other like family we are called to love each other like family once you look at verse 9 verse 9 and the rest of romans that we're going to look at here um, paul kind of gives us a code of conduct for believers if you will and he first starts off here by talking about uh, and these the, the things we're going to talk about the commands that he gives can be applied probably to believers and and unbelievers. But I believe in context here, he's speaking specifically about believers. He's talking about um, uh, being one in the body of Christ. And look at what he says in verse 9. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, love each other genuinely. Listen, it's the biggest complaint people make against Christians is that we are what? Hypocrites. So don't do that. You say, well, and listen, I understand we're going to fail and all that. They shouldn't just look at us. They should look at Christ. Yeah, absolutely. But who are we? We are his representatives to the world. And so the Bible says, Paul says, as believers, Jesus says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you, if you bicker, if you have love for one another. That's what Jesus says, that's how people are going to know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another and so let that let your love be genuine don't act in other words here's what that means don't act one way to their face and another way behind their back that's what hypocrisy is that's it's being two-faced it's in fact paul goes on here i believe this second part of verse nine applies to that command he says abhor what is evil cling to what is good in other words what he's saying is to be a hypocrite in our love is evil we ought to know that right But to act one way to somebody's face and talk about them behind their back or act some other way behind their back is, is not only hypocritical, but it's evil. He says, don't do that. So, what's evil? Hypocrisy. What's good? Genuine love. Look at verse 10. How do we know he's talking to believers here? Because he says here, he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. The... Phrase that's translated kindly affection is from a Greek word philostorgos. It means and speaks of a mutual love between parents and children, brothers and sisters, uh, even husbands and wives, but it's talking about a familial love. It says to be, ha, uh, what be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Uh, many of you would know what, word that, what Greek word that is. We have a city by that name, don't Philadelphia. That's right. Philadelphia is the city of
1: brotherly love.
0: Why? Because that's the Greek word. Philos meaning love. um, Delphos meaning brother. And so we are to love each other. Um, It's not talking about a romantic kind of love here, but it's talking about a genuine love. um, A a genuine affection for one another that we ought to care for each other with. Friends, I, I don't know a better way to say this other than we need and ought to love one another like family. We are family. Through thick and thin, through good times and bad, no matter what happens, amen, we are to love each other like what? Like family. Listen, you know how family is, right? You got that weird uncle? You know what I'm saying? You got that cousin that you're not sure you want to hang around with, but guess what? You love them anyway, right? You may have your differences, you know, it's one thing for brothers and sisters to fight, amen? But let somebody attack your brother or sister and who comes to their defense. You do. Why? Because you're family. Um, and so friends, we are family. That's what family does. That's how family is supposed to love each other. We love each other through thick and thin. Which leads us to see the 3rd subpoint under number one here. How do we love each other like family? Well, friends, like family, we should actively look out for one another. We should actively look out for one another. Let's look at verse 10 again. Paul says, be be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. What's the biggest thing that causes fights in churches? We could take an opinion poll on that, right? I would tend to say probably way up there is people wanting what they prefer. What does the Bible say about that? In honor, giving preference to one another. Um, one of the great things about my home church was that the folks who were um, mature in years, I'll put it that way, um, always we're willing to most of the time we're willing to set aside their preferences to allow us young people to express our faith with the Lord it doesn't always have to be that way uh, but if everybody is looking out for the other person then guess what then then nobody's going to be selfish and when're where does James say that wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your selfish desires from, from within? And so, listen, if we are always looking out for another person, then we're going to do what? We're going we're to get along with them a lot easier than we are if we are doing only want what we want. Look at verse 11. He says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words... Giving God our all, all and contributing to the body of Christ with everything we have. I'm going to serve the Lord with all diligence, with the, the fervent of spirit. I'm going to serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. I love this. Listen, um, why should why, why are we family? We are family because we are saved and we are saved by the grace of God and through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that is the hope we have. The hope we have is that we're going to spend eternity with him because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So we ought to be able to rejoice in that. Amen. We may have differences, but guess what? We have the main thing as our bond that we're saved by the grace of God. And we ought to be able to rejoice in that hope. Amen. We have that bond patient in tribulation or persevering through troubles and trials and difficulties. Through whatever life throws at us. How do we do that? Well, we do that one way by rejoicing in hope. Amen? We have the same hope. We need to encourage one another and build one another up and pray for one another. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Love our prayer team. I I know our prayer team would say prayer is not just for the prayer team. Amen? It's for all of us to pray for each other. To be able to say, listen, let me give you permission. And when somebody comes up to you on Sunday morning and says, how are you doing? You don't have to say good. You don't uh, listen it better than we deserve. Yes, absolutely. You say, you know what? I'm good, but I've got some struggling things. Can you pray for me? And here's what I encourage you. Somebody says something I like say, what can we pray about? Let's do that right here, right now. Love to be able to see on well, Sunday morning, as we come in and so forth, as people begin to have conversations, that they stop right where they are. Not only are they are talking about whatever, but they're praying for each other. That's the way it ought to be as, as, as a family. Amen? We care about each other. We're concerned about each other. Verse 13, we also take care of one another. It says, distributing to the needs of the, of the saints, given to hospitality. Friends, so we need to be willing to open our homes to one another. We also need to be willing to help each other out when in need. Listen, family has each other's back. Amen? Family has each other's back. And there may be a time when you're in need. Guess what? Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be embarrassed by that. I promise you if you come to me, I'll keep that between me, you and me. We have a benevolence fund, a benevolence count that if, you, if people want to remain anonymous in giving, remain anonymous in, in getting help, then there's opportunity to do that. It may just happen naturally among friends. I don't know, but friends, here's what I want you to know is, you're part of this family, we got your back. As we love each other, we care for each other, that's what family does. They look out for one another. They serve one another. They care for one another. And they love each other for who they are in the family. That's how we're supposed to treat other believers. The problem is, that's not always the way it happens, is it? I want to share with you a story uh, that that kind of illustrates what happens many times. I don't know if you've heard of a pastor uh, by the name of Sky Jathani. He tells the story of when he was 13 years old, how his dad had the brilliant idea for them to take sailing lessons. It was he, his dad, his brother, and two cousins. He said they'd never sailed before, yet they headed out to Chicago's Belmont Harbor to spend a few days learning how to sail with an instructor. He writes, he says, I felt bad for that instructor and what he had to put up with. He said, whatever we paid him, it wasn't enough. He said, "My my brother and cousins goofed off most of the time. And he said, I spent most of those three days bent over the side of the sailboat puking into Lake Michigan. He said, at the end of the three days, after learning all the basics, we were given a final exam. We were to navigate the sailboat out of the harbor, out into the lake, and then back into the harbor. And we were supposed to do this, he said, all alone. No instructor. He said, just my dad and four teenagers. Now, he said, even as a 13-year-old boy, I knew this was not a good idea. He said, there was no way that I was getting into that boat with just my dad. He said, the instructor might as well have told us to go fly a 747. He said, this was a disaster waiting to happen. He said, nonetheless, my dad was confident. He said, even though my dad was full of confidence, I refused to get in the boat. He said, they ridiculed me for not coming, but they headed out anyway, and then they shoved off. He said, the instructor and I then watched in horror from the shore as the sailboat began to bounce all around Belmont Harbor like a floating pinball. He said they seemed magnetically attracted to every stationary object in the harbor. He said they hit docks, they hit buoys, they hit other boats. He said all the while my dad stood at the rudder, maintaining a facade of control, calmly ordering the others to trim the sails as if the chaos in the harbor was perfectly normal. He said, people on other boats were terrified that they would be the next vessel torpedoed by my dad. Meanwhile, those watching them from shore were laughing. He said, I stood by pretending I had no idea who those idiots in the sailboat were. He said, I just laughed, along with everyone else. In the end, he said, they didn't even make it out of the harbor. He said, I don't think my dad will ever show his face around Belmont Harbor again. Now, what's the point of that story? Here's the point. The point is, friends, that we, like Sky, can often be very fickle about community. Just as we can be very fickle about the church. Amen? When things are good, we're all too eager to jump into the boat and join the fun. But when things turn ugly, we find ourselves on the shore, pointing or laughing or pretending not to even know those crazy people in the boat. Sometimes, no matter how close or committed we feel to our community, we are we're tempted to abandon ship. He goes on to say, when my dad first told me about taking sailing lessons together, I was really excited. He said, to be honest, I had a lot of fun those first few days with everyone. But at the first sign of trouble, I was out of there. I jumped ship and found myself standing on the shore, pointing and laughing at my dad and my brother as those people. Those terrible sailors, what a disaster they've caused. Can you believe what they've done? He said, I was happy to include myself in the fun, but I quickly distanced myself from the mess when it started to happen. He says the same tendency can be found among God's people. When things are going well, we are eager to join in the blessings of the church. Amen? When things are going well, we're happy to talk about the wonderful things that God is doing. When things are going well, we're excited about being around God's family. But when things go wrong, we begin to distance ourselves. Look at those terrible sinners. Look at what a mess at that church over there. I can't believe they would hurt people like that. I can't believe they would hurt me like that. And we often abandon ship and stand on the shore in disgust. Friends, I just want to simply challenge you. Let's love each other like family. Yeah, sometimes family maybe doesn't get along as well as they should. But you know what they do? They work through. You know what? There's no perfect family. None of you have a perfect family. Guess what? There's no perfect church. Just... A perfect Savior. He's the one and the reason we are here. He's what we have in common. Here's what I would encourage you: don't be quick to bail. I'm not saying that there's never a reason to leave a church. What I'm saying is all other avenues, I believe, ought to be exhausted. Unless there's a specific call from God to go do something else. Friends, don't be quick to bail. You'll be changing churches as often as you change underwear. Don't do that. Be willing and quick to forgive. We'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks. But be willing to forgive no matter what. Amen? So, with believers, we are to love like who? Like family. Love them like family. Now, what about unbelievers? How are we to relate to unbelievers? If we're supposed to love believers like family, what about non-Christians? Well, let me just say this. We're supposed to love them too. Amen? But I want to phrase that maybe. Let me state it a little bit differently. Number two, with unbelievers, kill them with kindness. Okay? You understand the phrase that I'm using there. Um, I believe the first step is this. You look at A, is to be their friend. Build a relationship with them, if for nothing else, for Jesus' sake. Now, some might say, Pastor, I, I don't know about that. Shouldn't we guard who our friends are with, who our friends are, and, and who we are friends with? Uh, Pastor, shouldn't we be careful about the Im- influences that we have in our life? Maybe. But what does Jesus tell us? What are some what's what's one of the biggest commands that he gives us? I want you to look at Matthew chapter 28. You know this, really don't even need to put it up on the board. Matthew 28 verse 19 says this. It says, "Go and make disciples of all nations, right? So we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." Go ahead and put up that next verse, please. Do we have it? There we go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So as believers, our command is to go and make disciples of all nations. So when people become disciples, what happens to them? They, they are born again. They get saved and they become a part of, of whose family? Jesus is family. Amen. That's why baptism is more than just being dumped in water. Baptism is a symbol of being joined to the body of Christ and being joined to the family of Christ. And so we are to go and bring people into the family. Now, friends, I don't know how we are going to do that unless we befriend people. Amen. Jesus himself was known as a friend of sinners, right? They called him. Listen, I, I can't. He's just a fr- he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In fact, Luke seven thirty four it, it says this. It says the son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say a look a glutton and wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners is what Jesus was called. He went into their homes. Right. We looked several weeks ago at the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus went said Zacchaeus come down because I'm going to your house today I'm going to your house Zacchaeus he went into the house of a man who was considered was hated by the Jews and considered the lowest of the low and the scripture says when they saw it they all complained saying he's gone to be a guest in the house with a man who is a sinner how dare he friends we are called to make friends with sinners and don't get shocked because we are one. We're not pointing fingers. We just we we need to befriend those who maybe don't know Christ yet. Listen, Jesus was willing to associate with whomever. Amen. He didn't care what people thought of him. He was willing to be called names. He was willing to put his reputation on the line. He was willing to look Be looked down upon in order to love people. In order to befriend them, even go after them and make them his friend. Told you a story a couple weeks ago. My wife and uh, one of her best friends now didn't like her at first. She had to go make her be your friend. Here's what I want you to think about really, really hard. Jesus has had to make each one of us be his friend. If you understand theology correctly, what the Scripture tells us is that we are all we are all enemies of God because we want to do life our way and we don't want Him ruling our life, and so Jesus. But When we come under conviction of our sin, uh, what, what we see is the, the beautiful Savior who gave Himself on the cross for us, who loved us so much that He went to the cross willing to pay the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to, so that we don't spend eternity in hell, but that we'll spend eternity in heaven with Him. And so through that act, we are saved and we become His friend. Jesus, when we were still sinners, Romans 5.8 says, Jesus Christ died for us. He came to make us his friends. You haven't, I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, I grew up in church. I've I've just kind of always been part of a church. You may have always known about Jesus, but you haven't always been saved. You haven't always been born again. Um, We have to come to know him as our Savior. And when we come into his family, we become, the Bible says, his friends. And friends, the point is that Jesus now wants us to go out and continue the mission. Amen? He wants us to go out and make friends and bring people into the family. Apostle Paul kind of sums up his philosophy in this in 1 Corinthians 9.22. He says this. This is just a summary of, his, of the section there. But he says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He was willing, he said, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. To, the, to, to those under the law, become as under the law. Those who are without law, become as without law. Those to the weak, I become as weak. He said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now, some of you may say, but pastor, isn't that befriending people with an agenda? Maybe some people might say that. I don't want us to think about that for just a minute. Um, do you call making people your friend an agenda? Because if that's an agenda, then I guess I've got one. I want to be your friend. Do you call bringing people into a group where they can be loved and made part of a family and that they can spend eternity in heaven with God? Is that an agenda? Because if that's an agenda, then I guess I've got one. But the reality is, friends, I want to I want to be friends with people. You say, well, pastor, what if they what if they don't want to have a relationship with Christ? Keep loving them. Keep loving them. Keep reaching out. Okay? Um, Keep being their friend. Here's the problem. Most people aren't willing to get outside of their comfort zone to make a friend. Uh, I haven't done a study, but you know, most statistics are made up on the spot anyway. So I'm going to say that um, 90% of people um, make their friends through, through forced relationships. Talked about this last week. But I just want you to think about the friends that you have. And how many of them have come through... I say forced, but I mean where you worked with somebody for a long period of time. Or you were in an organization, maybe in a church, and you became friends, but it was only because you served beside somebody for a long period of time. I would say that many of our friends are because, some of my best friends are because we were in the same youth group. We hadn't been in the same youth group. And you say, well, Pastor, of course you have to know people like that. Yes, you have to connect with people in some way, but how many people have you made them be your friends? How many people have you pursued to be your friend? Okay. Now, let me just, as a side note here, listen, we need to be careful about one thing. All right. Listen, um, I'm not talking about um, romantic relationships here at all. Okay. I'm talking about friendships. Okay. I'm talking about ladies being friends with ladies, guys being friends. With... If you're married, you don't need to have a, a close, uh, guys, you don't need to have a close girlfriend that's not your wife. And the same vice versa. Okay, That's my side note for today. But the reality is, many people, Jesus calls us to get outside of our comfort zone to love people and to make friends. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you not just to evangelize, but I want to challenge you to love people and make friends. friends. And then see what happens. Love people. Reach out to them. Be friendly and befriend them. That's how we're supposed to relate to unbelievers is to be their friend. Amen. Now, I do want to give a little caveat to that. Okay. That's the second point under number two, the B. Here's B. The Bible gives us a little bit of a warning. Be careful how close you get. We need to befriend others, but we don't need to be involved in some of the things that they're involved in. You understand where I'm coming from? I want you to look at a couple of scriptures with me this morning. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we need to be friends with people. We need to be careful ab- about not being involved in maybe some of the things that they are involved in that are not godly things. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Some people read that and may say this, but pastor, how then can we be friends with unbelievers if that's going to make us an enemy of God? And I say, that's not what this verse is talking about at all. I I do not believe that what James is talking about here. I don't believe James is talking about being friends with unbelievers. I don't think he says, do you not know that friendship with unbelievers is the enemy of God? He's talking about friendship with the world and the world system out there, okay? What James is talking about is not being friends with the things of this world. Money, success, fame, glamour, allurements of the world, all the glitz and glitter. We can be friends with unbelievers without having to be partakers of the world. So, we do need to be careful. We can and should seek to be friends with unbelievers, non-Christians. Amen. But we need to be careful. We should not be involved with them in anything that compromises our witness, our integrity, our morals or our Lord. Now, that brings me to another verse that we need to look at. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. says this. If you grew up in church, if you were ever in a youth group, you heard this verse. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. How I many of you heard that verse before? How I many of you heard it in youth group? Okay, many of you. What does it mean to be unequally yoked? The scripture here, Paul here, tells us in Corinthians to the Corinthians says, "Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers." Does that mean we can't be friends with unbelievers? No, I don't believe that at all. But what I do believe, I believe it means we need to be careful with how close of a relationship we have with unbelievers. Okay. Um, Let me first explain to you the analogy that Paul is using here. The analogy is from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, where the Mosaic law commands the Israelites. It says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Okay? So you shall not plow the ground with an ox and a donkey together. And we first need to understand a little bit about how they plow. Okay? So I've got a picture here for you of something called a yoke. Maybe you aren't aware of what a yoke is. A yoke is not just something in an egg. Okay? That's a different kind of yoke. This is a yoke. Okay? It is a device that goes around two animals' heads. It was two oxen's heads. If you look at the next uh, picture here, uh, it's kind of like this, and a plow would be attached in that. This is the way they plow. They didn't have um, motors and engines and so forth, and so they had um, two oxen um, with a plow behind, and the oxen would provide the power, and they would plow a furrow uh, down through there. Now... With that understood, uh, what, what was the problem? Why would you not want to plow with an ox and a donkey? Because an ox and a donkey are not only two different animals, but they have two different natures. They have, they're different sizes. They have two different gaits or, or, or strides. They, they, ha- they are d- of different strength. And so if you were to plow with two different animals like an ox and a donkey what would happen is probably the ox would be stronger than the donkey and they would begin to, to go off maybe to the side and not plow a straight furrow because the animals were not equally yoked. Now, let's take that out of that analogy and let's apply it to what Paul's talking about here. So what does he saying? He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He says, don't be unequally yoked together. Does that mean we need to not make sure we're not in one of those devices together? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about we need to make sure that we are not yoked together in spiritual um, enterprise. I'm going to use that word very loosely, okay, with unbelievers. The most well-known common application of this is in marriage. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers in marriage, right? And So we need to be careful. Um, Those of you teenagers, those of you who are single, be careful about being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, why not? Uh, There's a simple reason why not. Um, And actually there was a couple of reasons um, um, why not for the animals. But one of the reasons we should not be yoked together is because um, if you are yoked in a close relationship with an unbeliever, you're going to be pulling in two different directions. You're going to have different priorities. You're going to have different goals. goals. You're going to have um, different different worldviews. Some people say, Pastor, that's awful harsh. I don't know that I agree with that. Well, it's in the Scripture. It's not my idea. Um, What I don't understand is, I I don't understand why unbelievers... Because here's... One of the reasons I think I can speak a little bit um, personally about this is because I grew up in a home that was unequally yoked. Y'all know my mom? I already talked about her. She was... um, live for the Lord and very godly. My dad was not saved. Now I know the obvious question that brings up and I asked my mom that question. Mom, why in the world would you ever marry him? Why would you ever enter into a relationship with him? You know what she said? Because I thought I could change him. Listen to me. If you're watching online, I encourage you to listen very carefully here. You can argue till the cows come home. To the oxen come home? To the donkeys come home? I don't care. It does not work when two people are pulling into different directions. That's the warning that Paul gives. Now, pastor, what, what do I do if I'm already in that situation? Because sometimes you enter into a relationship and the person says they're saved and later on you find out, you know what, they really aren't. They, didn't care, they don't care as much about the Lord as I thought they did. And so maybe you find yourself in a relationship like that or uh, that, that, that you're in now that you didn't think you were even in. Friends, um, I, what do I do now? I believe, number one, if you're married, if, this, if we're talking about marriage, you need to stay put. You see, Paul addresses this very thing in the Corinthian church back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, they ask him the question literally what should we do because what was happening was people were getting saved and one was getting saved and the spouse was not and so the one that was getting saved was saying you know what should i leave my spouse and should i go uh you know marry somebody different in order to marry somebody that's saved and what paul says says no don't do that he says stay in the relationship that, that you are in when, when you got saved And begin praying for that person and begin loving that person. Listen, the same principles that apply to other unbelievers apply in this. Love them to death. Kill them with kindness. Fulfill the role that God has given you as a wife or as a husband and seek to win them to the Lord. Now, I realize that may or may not happen. Even if it doesn't. We can't control the other person. Who can we control? Ourselves. Now, What's wrong with relationship being yoked together with unbelievers? I don't think I hit this yet, but look at 2 Corinthians 6 again. It says, Do not be, un- be, be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belior? That's an ancient name for Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And he goes on to talk about um, separating ourselves from, from sin. Friends, I believe not only does this prohibit us from and warn us as believers from being yoked together and unbelievers in marriage, I believe, okay, and some of you are going to disagree with me on this, that's fine, I believe it also means being careful about other partnerships that you enter into with other believers. Now, some say, well, Pastor, I believe this only deals with spiritual matters and only in spiritual partnerships. I believe absolutely it, it, it applies to that. And so it applies to marriage. I believe it can also apply to other religious partnerships, if you want to call it that, whatever that may be. But I believe it also can apply to maybe a partnership in business. You need to be careful. I have seen it firsthand. I've had friends who have been Christians and gotten into business with somebody who's not being a Christian. You know what happens down the road? they got different priorities they got different goals. They want to do different things with the business because they're not on the same page. So what do I do in that situation, Pastor? Listen, I'm not talking about a marriage relationship, but any other, get out. Get out. I believe believe that's not a good, healthy relationship. So we need to understand, friends, that what Christ calls us to is to put Him first and to honor Him. And can we do that in the relationships that we have? Now, are we supposed to love others, love non-Christians? Absolutely. Are we supposed to be yoked together with them in close fellowship and close partnership? No, I don't believe so. So what do we do? How how then, if we're supposed to love unbelievers, um, what if if they are mean or ugly to me? That's what Paul addresses here in the last point I want to hit on this morning in the rest of chapter 12. And it is this, it's very simple. it's what your mama told you to do, right? How do we relate to those who don't like us, who have a different opinion, a world, different worldview from us, uh, or may even just be kind of cold to us? Be nice to them. Amen. Be nice to those who are mean to you. Look at Romans chapter 12 again, verse 14. Look at this command from Christ. And here's the deal, friends. This is not a suggestion. These are not Paul's suggestions to be a nice Christian. They are commands from the Lord. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So what are we supposed to do when somebody is mean towards us and and, and persecuting them in that day, but if they're mean towards us, they curse us? Are we supposed to curse them back? Yeah, they said something mean to me, I'm going to get them back. No, not at all. Friends, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Friends, we need to love people into the kingdom. Amen? You're not going to argue people into the kingdom, and you're definitely not going to curse them into the kingdom. When we're mean back, we talked about this last week, what happens in a relationship? It escalates, doesn't it? So be nice, be kind, be, be loving. He goes on here in verse 15 and 16, um, could apply even to believers or unbelievers here. I believe in context. He's, he's talking about a relationship with unbelievers. He says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, um, get involved in their lives. Listen, share in their joys, but also uh, uh, care for them and be willing to cry with them too. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Remember, we talked about that already. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I believe this is really speaking about impartiality here, not showing favoritism to some over others. The reality is, friends, Christ calls us to have a humble spirit and a humble mind. Listen, um, there is one thing that will turn people off quicker than anything else, and that is when you consider yourself better than others. That will turn somebody off quicker. So quick when they see pride and arrogance. And so Paul reiterates it again here in verse 17. He says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard or respect for good things in the sight of all men. In other words, respect what is right. Do what is right. Live what is right. If it is possible, we looked at this last week, as much as it depends upon you, do what? Live peaceably with all men. So our responsibility is to live in peace with others. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath or leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, if you just, if vengeance is on your mind, you're thinking, of whatever. L- listen, leave it up to the Lord. God's going to take care of it. Amen. Leave it up to him. It will do you no good and that vengeance will eat you up. Therefore, here's the kind of vengeance that Christians are supposed to get. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, some people read that verse and they say, yeah, I'll do that then. God love to have coals of fire on their head. Let them burn. It's not what it's talking about. In fact, this phrase it refers to an ancient Egyptian custom whereby a person who wanted to show public contrition would carry a a pan of burning coals around on their head to represent their shame and their guilt and their remorse. So it represents shame and guilt and remorse. So what Paul is saying here is that when we do good to those who are mean to us, when we give our enemy food when they are hungry or when we give them a drink when they are thirsty, what we are actually doing is it will work to bring conviction in their life and bring them to the Lord. What is, when, we, when we return evil for evil, that escalates things, right? When we return good for evil, it de-escalates things and it begins to soften people's hearts. Paul sums it up with this verse in verse 21. He says this do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that exactly what he did on the cross? Was he overcome by the evil in the world? Well, Satan, it was Satan that that, that, that took him to the cross, right? It was Satan that, 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 that put him there, right? Through the Jews that, that, that wanted him crucified. You say, but pastor, it wasn't. You're right, it wasn't. Even though Satan thought he had the upper hand, Jesus always had the upper hand. He overcame the evil with the good of giving his life for us. Friends, we're supposed to, we're supposed to act similarly. Amen? Friends, the real way to counteract evil that's done to us is to do good to others. The real way to build healthy relationships is to be nice to those who are mean to you. It is, as your mama used to tell, tell you, kill them with kindness. And that will make your enemy into your friend. January 1968. A man by the name of Ken, Sh- Kim Shin Jo was part of a team of assassins from North Korea who snuck through the woods of North Korea into South Korea in a daring attempt to assassinate the president of South Korea. The team of 31 commandos made it all the way to within a few hundred meters of the president's residence before they were intercepted and stopped. A fierce battle ensued in which many from both sides were killed, but in which almost all of the North Korean assassins were killed. All except for one who escaped and one who was captured. None other than Kim Shin Jo. Months of interrogation he went through behind bars. After those months of interrogation, a South Korean army general... Began to befriend him, began to reach out to him. He said it was through that friendship that his heart, his hardened heart, a heart which had been taught to hate the South Koreans, began to soften. Later, here's what he would confess He said, I tried to kill the president, I was the enemy, but the South Korean people showed me friendship, they showed me love, they showed me forgiveness he said i was touched and moved unbelievably the south korean government eventually released kim shin and over the next 3 decades he would subsequently join the south korean military actually become a citizen of south korea get married to a south korean girl and raise a family and even become a pastor in south korea today Kim Shin-jo's life serves as a symbol of redemption for the entire country of South Korea. He found a new birth, a new life, and God's grace through the power of Christ. But that power of Christ came through an encounter with an unexpected unexpected and surprising love of a soldier who reached out to him. Despite being the enemy, that army officer did not return evil for evil, but instead returned evil with good. He accepted him, befriended him, believed in him, and shared Jesus with him. And Kim Shin Jo's life was changed forever. Friends, in a very similar way, I believe we are called to extend friendship to those who don't know Christ. How are we supposed to relate with, with unbelievers, with non-Christians? Be a friend. Love them. Care about them the way Jesus did. Friends, we are called to extend the gift of love and friendship to the others, just as Jesus has extended love and friendship to us. Amen? We build healthy relationships with believers and unbelievers. By following the example of Jesus. Not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, while we were yet sinners, while we were still your enemies, you stepped out of heaven, came to earth, To do what we could not do for ourselves and to pay the penalty for our sins, Lord, to bring us into a relationship with you so that we could be your friends. Lord, so often we become prideful and arrogant and stubborn and ornery. And we think when we've been wronged, how dare they? How dare people treat us like that? Lord, break through our hardened hearts. Help us to see the love that you poured out on the cross for us. And help us to love others with the same kind of love. Lord, I pray for those here today who have a very specific person in mind. A relationship that they wish was better but is not. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody that used to be a friend. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work on our hearts. Give us the capacity through Your love to love them as You first loved us. Friends, some of you are here this morning, maybe watching online. And you know you need a heart change. You may be saying, but pastor, I I just can't. I can't love them like that. Friends, if that is your attitude, you do need a heart change. You need to surrender your life and your heart and your will and your eternity to Jesus. He has the power to come in and change and transform your heart. But you have to say, yes, Lord Jesus, come in. I acknowledge that I I have this in my heart, Lord, that I just can't get rid of. And Lord, I need you to change it. Friend, would would you open your heart to him today? Say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. Maybe some of you know, you know what Christ has done for you. It brings you to tears. But you are still allowing and maybe harboring bitterness and resentment towards somebody else. Friends, you've got to let it go. In Christ, because of Christ, for Christ, you've got to let it go. Today, would you surrender to Him? Would you surrender it to Him? Maybe some of you are here today and say, you know what, Pastor, I haven't been the friend to those around me that I need to be. I'm not sought, sought to build friendships. I'm a friend to those who are a friend to me, but I've not really gone above and beyond on that. Today, I realize that Jesus calls me to that. And today, I would say, yes, Jesus, I will be your friend who goes out to make friends. Because wherever you are. Would you take that next step today? Lord, you hear our hearts. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks, and have a great week.